Scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Haggai. Uh, We finished up our sermon series in the book of James last week, and now we're going back to the Old Testament, and we're going to look at this uh, minor prophet, Haggai. Now, you may have a little trouble finding this little book, so I went ahead and found the page number for you in the Pew Bible. If you want to grab that from the Pew in front of you, if you haven't found it already, it's on page 816. It's only two chapters in this little book, but I think... Haggai has a lot to say to us uh, this morning and through the weeks to come. So we're going to be reading from uh, Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. The high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and all, on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. May God bless the reading of his word. <clears throat> now as we begin the series In the book of Haggai, I want to set the stage on what was going on in Jerusalem when Haggai delivered God's messages to the people. And so let's kind of back up here and let me give you some context for Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the the capital city of Israel. Now Israel was the name given to the promised land that God gave the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when he delivered them out of Egypt and led them into the promised land, this land became known as Israel. And God told the people, His people, He said, if you obey me, I will bless you in the land. 
But if you disobey me, I will curse or discipline you in the land. So hundreds of years, years pass. David becomes king and then his son Solomon becomes king and then Solomon dies. And after Solomon dies, the kingdom is divided. And the northern tribes become Israel. They retain the name Israel in the northern kingdom. And they create a new capital called Samaria. And the southern kingdom takes the name of Judah and they retain Jerusalem as their capital. Now, as the people of God continued to stray farther and farther from God, God sent prophets, people that would share God's message to the people. And these prophets would warn the people of the pending discipline of the Lord that was on its way if they continued in the path that they were on. But they wouldn't listen. And so because of their disobedience, the people of God, both Israel and Judah, were removed from the land. In 722 B.C., Israel was defeated and the people were taken into captivity by Assyria. And then in 586 B.C., Judah was defeated and the people were taken into captivity by Babylon. And the temple that Solomon had built for the Lord, the temple was plundered and it was destroyed. Now remember, God told His people that He would bless their obedience and curse or discipline their disobedience. And two things happened that the people of God thought would never happen. One, they would be taken out of the land that God promised them. And two, the temple would be destroyed. I don't think they ever thought this would actually occur, but it did. And so can you imagine just just being part of the people of God at that time and seeing these events unfold? You defeated and carried away to a foreign land and then watching as the temple is plundered of all the gold, all the goods that were in it and brought to the ground and burnt with fire. The prophet Ezekiel looks at the situation and the prophet Ezekiel describes it as a valley of dry bones. He sees the situation and he sees everything stripped away And everything looks hopeless and there is just no spiritual life left. And yet God spoke through Ezekiel and other prophets during this time of exile to encourage faithfulness. And he told them that God would restore them and rebuild the temple. God also told the people while they were in exile that that he was going to raise up a Gentile ruler that would come on the scene. And actually enable the people of God to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And that Gentile ruler's name was Cyrus. And in 536 B.C., Cyrus, the king of Persia, conquered Babylon. Now Babylon is, is the country that conquered Judah, ransacked Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and carried all the people of Judah away into captivity to Babylon. Well, Cyrus, the Persian king, comes on the scene and conquers Babylon. Whereas Babylon's strategy was to conquer a people, take the people out of their land, and scatter them throughout the kingdom. Cyrus's strategy was different. When he took control of this empire, he decided to allow the people to go back to their homeland to reestablish themselves and even reinstitute their religious practices. So this was Cyrus's strategy. 
which is confirmed by the artifact known as the Cyrus Cylinder, which speaks of him allowing people to reinstitute their religious practices in their homeland. In the book of Ezra, we read these words in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of, the, of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. And let him go to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of of God that is in Jerusalem. I mean, so can, can you imagine? I mean, you know your history. You've been taken out of your homeland that God promised you. The temple has been destroyed. You've been in captivity and exile for 50 years. And then Cyrus comes on the scene and says, here's what I'm going to do. God has told me to rebuild His temple in Jerusalem. And so I'm going to let all you Jewish people go back to Jerusalem and I'm going to help pay for it I'm going to get you back there, and I want you to rebuild the temple. You're thinking, this is fantastic. This is wonderful. I mean, this, I, th- obviously, this is a very optimistic mood among the people of God. And so uh, they returned to Jerusalem, and they began to resettle. Now, just imagine. Imagine a, a natural disaster or maybe some type of war or you know, something terrible happened to Augusta where it was just demolished, you know, all the houses were destroyed. All the businesses were destroyed. Um, most of the population had to leave. Everything had, has just been, been plundered. And it, it is sitting in ruins. And now just imagine you having to come back to Augusta and resettle. And think about what would you have to do in order to make that happen. Well, one of the first things you would have to do is figure out where you're going to live. Right? You would have to somehow rebuild a house or have some type of permanent shelter here if you're going to make a go of it. And the second thing you would have to do is figure out some way to sustain yourself. You'd have to start a business or start farming or doing something that would bring in some type of income so that you could sustain yourself with food and everything that you would need. Well, for the people that were going back to Jerusalem, this was the reality they were facing. I mean, Jerusalem was sacked. I mean, it was in, in ruins. And they were going back to resettle. And so they needed to establish shelter. They needed to figure out how are we going to sustain ourselves. And so they needed to to rebuild houses. They needed to begin farming and working the land so that they could eat. And while they were doing this, they also shifted their focus on the temple. Now even today, when people go to Jerusalem, what do they go to see? I mean, they want to see where the temple stood. Even today. You know, over 2,000 years later, 2,500 years later, they want to go see where the temple stood. Just like the people uh, in Nehemiah, I mean, Haggai's day, when they went back to Jerusalem, yes, they had to build their houses, yes, they had to figure out a way to sustain themselves, but they wanted to draw their attention and bring their attention to the temple. They wanted to rebuild 
the temple. It was the utmost importance for them to rebuild the temple. Because the temple is where the people met with God. Through the priesthood, through the sacrificial system, the temple represented God's presence among His people. And so the people desperately wanted to rebuild the temple so that God's presence once again would dwell among them. Ezra tells us in chapter 3, verses 1-3, through he says, When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man in Jerusalem. Then arose Joshua the son of Jehozadak and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So the people came into Jerusalem, they began to resettle, they began to clear the rubble off the temple mount, and the first thing they did is they reconstructed the altar. Before they put the walls and the roof on, they reconstructed the altar so they can begin to offer sacrifices according to the Word of God. And so they were off to a good start. You know, they were getting their self... They were getting themselves settled. They were giving attention to the temple. We cleared the rubble. We have the altar set up. Sacrificial system being put back in place. And then they experienced friction. Ezra tells us that they begin to experience opposition and friction from their neighbors. And because of the friction they experienced, they stopped rebuilding the temple. So you just have a foundation and an altar and it's incomplete it's an incomplete structure the people of God stopped rebuilding the temple and while this was all happening Cyrus dies in battle and a man named Darius comes to power and this is when Haggai comes on the scene so the rebuilding of the temple has stopped for over a decade Darius comes to power And Haggai comes on the scene with this message from the Lord. And we read in Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Listen to these words again. It says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Listen to what he says. These people say... The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Who are these people? God's people. He's saying these people, God's saying these people say, now is not the time to rebuild the house of the Lord. You know, God has provided a way for them, I mean, in an amazing way through Cyrus to come back to Jerusalem. To resettle and to begin building the house of the Lord. But their enthusiasm was extinguished by difficulty and opposition and friction. So when Haggai delivered God's message, over a decade had passed since they had started construction on the temple. And they had not progressed. The people had stopped rebuilding the temple. And the first lesson we learned from this passage is that it is so easy for us to get deterred from doing what God wants us to do. You know, God's calling us to do something. We experience some friction. We experience some opposition. We experience some difficulty. And our enthusiasm is extinguished. And we pull back. 
and we stop working. The people stopped doing what God wanted them to do because they experienced opposition and instability. You know, some of us may fall into that trap thinking, well, if I'm doing what God wants me to do, everything should go smoothly. (laughs) That's just not the case. I mean, you read throughout Scripture, you read the life of any believer in Christ, you realize that is not the way things work. When you step out in faith for the Lord and you seek to do what He's calling you to do, there's going to be friction. There may even be opposition. Jesus said it this way in uh, John 16, 33. He says, in me you you have peace. You may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So here's the truth of the matter. And if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, you know this. That it's not always convenient to follow Jesus. It's just not. It's not always comfortable to obey God. And it's so easy to say, you know, the time has not yet come. God, I know you're calling me to this, but the time has not yet come. And we can always find a reason not to take a step of faith. You know, for the people in Haggai's day, it was rebuilding the temple. God told them, this is what I'm calling you to do. Rebuild the temple. And they were just full of excuses why they couldn't rebuild the temple. Friction, opposition, we can't do this, we can't do that. Things aren't going well, the economy's unstable. All these issues. So in Haggai's day... It was a call to rebuild the temple. For us, God's not calling us to rebuild a temple. Sometimes pastors like to use this passage to you know, promote a building campaign. You, know. you may be thinking, oh goodness, what's coming? You know, Ron's about to roll out a building campaign. No, because that's not what God is calling us to do. Buildings are fine, and I think we should try to maintain our buildings the best we can because we use them, but we use them for a purpose And the purpose that God's calling us to do and accomplish is the Great Commission. We're not called to build buildings primarily. We're called to make disciples. And that's what God is calling you to do. And that's what God is calling me to do. And God was calling the people in Haggai's day to rebuild the temple. That's what God was calling them to do. But in our day, we're not called to build a temple but we're called to help people become temples of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. He says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So our calling is not to build a structure but to help people become the temple of the living God. That's our calling. That's our purpose. And so the people in Jerusalem, they were saying, you know what, it's not yet time to rebuild the temple. Year after year went by. It's not time. It's just not time. Not yet. The time has not yet come. And so when you think about helping others become the temple of God, when, help, when you think about helping others become followers of Jesus... What do you say? Do you say, the time just has not yet come. You know, oftentimes, and this is true of my own life, we can come up with excuse after excuse after excuse 
for why we don't take steps of faith. I mean, there's always a reason we can give to say, well, this is a good opportunity. Yes, I should do this. This is the right thing. But look at what's going on here. This, I don't need to do it because of this reason, for that reason. And for the people of God in Haggai's day, God's plan for them was to return to Jerusalem, rebuild the temple. Yet they were saying, the time has not yet come. And so God calls them on it. And he addresses their excuse making and says to them in verses 3 through 4, listen to what he says. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? So the people were saying, it was not yet time to build the temple, and yet they had time to build their own house. You know, this idea of paneled houses simply means uh, a roofed-in house. And so they could build a roof over their own house, but when it comes to the house of the living God, they couldn't provide a roof for it. And God says, is it really not yet time to rebuild the temple? Because you seem to have a lot of time to build your own roofs, and yet you're not giving time to do what God is actually calling them to do. Haggai goes on to say in verses 5-6, through he says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. In other words, he's saying, you know, you guys, you all are, are busy doing good things. I mean, all these things he's mentioning are good things. I mean, they're building houses for themselves. You need to have a house to live in. Right? I mean, they were building houses for themselves. They're trying to provide food for themselves by farming. They're eating. They're drinking. They're seeking to clothe themselves. They're working. I mean, we would look at these people and say, these are good people. Right? These are good people. I mean, they're trying to make a go of it here. And, you know, the church, too, is full of these good people. But notice what God says. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Consider that you've been busy with all these good things, but something's lacking. Your pursuit of all these good things have become the cause of your disobedience. You're pursuing all these good things. But you're neglecting what's most important. You have followed, you have, I mean, you have allowed the, the pursuits of everyday life from keeping you from pursuing God's calling. And we'd all look at these things and see these things are good things. Working, providing food for your family, clothing. But he says, you know, you've allowed all these pursuits to cloud your purpose, your calling. And you've neglected the very thing God's called you to do by filling your time and and using your resources for all these other good things. Verses 7-11 through we read, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? 
declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. God is saying the reason they haven't been satisfied in their work is because they have allowed their work on their own houses to deter them from working on His house. That's why they haven't been satisfied in their labors. It's because they've allowed their busyness as they seek to build their own houses to deter them and keep them from actually doing the very thing God is calling them to do. And I wonder if anyone in here, any of us, are any of us guilty of this? Busying ourselves with our own houses and neglecting the very thing that God is calling us to do. It's so easy to do. Isn't it so easy to do? I mean, you just get caught up in working, making money, paying the bills, buying the groceries, shopping for clothes, taking care of the house, and all the other things that go into your daily routine. And these things aren't bad. These are good things, but they can cause us to lose focus. They can cause us to lose sight of what is most important. They can suck up all your energy and resources until we find ourselves living for these things instead of living for what pleases God. Notice in verse 8, God tells them to, to build the temple. Why? So that He may take pleasure in it. And that He may be glorified. So you see, God takes pleasure in our obedience. You know, when we do what He's calling us to do, He takes pleasure in that. God is pleased when we operate in faith and we seek to do what He's calling us to do. God is pleased in our faith-filled obedience. You know, God was calling the people in Haggai's day to rebuild the temple. But what is God calling us to do? I mentioned it earlier. God is calling us to go and make disciples of all nations. That is what He is calling every Christian to do. That is our mission. It's not to build buildings. It is to go and make disciples of all nations. That is our job description. And the way we define disciple in our church is that a disciple is a growing follower of Jesus. And so our mission, our purpose, our calling is to help people become growing followers of Jesus. And so that must be our priority. Yes, you should earn money, you should work, you should earn more money, you should pay the bills, you should buy groceries. Do all these good things, but all these activities should be done with the mission in mind. And our mission, our purpose is to make disciples. So everything else that we do needs to be done in the context of making disciples. Because that is the mission God is calling us to. That is the purpose that He has given us to fulfill. And God is pleased when we do what He calls us to do. And He is glorified by our faith-filled obedience as people come to know Him. And so now the question is, how will the people 
in Haggai's day, how will they respond to the word of the Lord? How will they respond to Haggai's message? Look at verses 12 through 15. It says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai the messenger of the Lord spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Think about this for a moment. Maybe you're familiar with the prophets of the Old Testament. How many times did the people in the Old Testament actually obey the prophets? Not many times. Haggai is one of the few prophets that actually proclaims the word of the Lord and people respond positively. <laughs> I mean, Haggai's probably thinking, wow, this is, this is fantastic. Praise the Lord for this. And the people, the leaders and the people respond in obedience. And they obey the voice of the Lord. And notice what God says to them in verse 13. I'm with you. I'm with you. I am with you as you seek to accomplish what I'm calling you to do. I'm with you. Now as followers of Jesus, does that phrase ring true in your mind? When you hear that, I am with you. Does it take your mind to another passage in the Scripture, in the New Testament? After Jesus rose from the dead, He called His disciples to Him. And then in Matthew 28, 18, He says, Jesus came to, him, came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold... I'm with you to the end of the age. In other words, Jesus is saying, as you seek to do what I'm calling you to do, I'm with you. I'm with you in that. I will be with you. God wants us to do what He's calling us to do. For Haggai and his contemporaries, in that moment in redemptive history, it was to rebuild the temple. But for you and for me, it's to go and make disciples of all nations. That's what God is calling us to do. So the question is, how will you respond to the message of God. What does this calling look like in your life? You know, maybe there's someone in your life that you've been wanting to share the gospel with, but you've been saying, the time has not yet come. And now's the time to do that. Or maybe... There's someone you've been wanting to invite to church, but you've been saying, you know, the time just has not been, it's not yet come. Well, perhaps the time has come to take that step of faith. Maybe there's a ministry opportunity or a service opportunity or a mission trip. And you've, and you've thought about taking one of these things on, but there always seems to be an excuse, a reason why you can't do it. And you may say, you know, the time just has not yet come. Well, maybe the time is now. Maybe the time has come. Maybe you're in a relationship that is not pleasing to God. And you know that you should end that relationship. 
but you keep telling yourself the time has not yet come. Well, now's the time. Now's the time to do what God's calling you to do. Now's the time to be obedient. Maybe you've been teaching your children or your grandchildren everything under the sun except for what it means to know and walk with the Lord. And maybe you've been saying to yourself, well, maybe the time has not yet come. Well, now's the time. Now's the time to do what God's calling you to do. Maybe you've been spending all your money and all your resources on building your own house. And you've been saying to yourself, you know, the time has not yet come to invest in the mission of God. And I wonder, if now is not the right time to do what God's calling us to do, then when is the right time? You know, when will we start obeying? When will we start living for God and seeking to accomplish what He's calling us to do? You know, to be the people, and I've been praying this, and I pray this often in my prayer, God, would You help us to be, become the people You want us to be? Right? That's what we want. We want to be the people God wants us to be. But in order to be the people God wants us to be, we need to do what God wants us to do. Right? And God is calling us, those who are in Christ, those who have a personal relationship with God in Christ, to go and make disciples. To go and help people become growing followers of Jesus. And this means that in everything we do, it all ties back into what God is calling us to do. And so may we be like Zerubbabel and Joshua and all the people in Jerusalem and obey the voice of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this challenge from Haggai to stop putting off obedience. uh, To stop allowing the, the things of the world, even good things, to deter us from accomplishing and doing what You've called us to do. Lord, thank You for the obedience of Your people in Haggai's day, that they responded to Your message and sought out how they could be used in the rebuilding of Your temple. And this morning, may we respond to Your message and ask You, Lord, how can I be involved in making disciples? How can I be involved in helping people become growing followers of Jesus? What would that look like for me in my life? How can I do that? Lord, show us, teach us, encourage us, challenge us. And may we be like Zerubbabel and Joshua and the remnant in Jerusalem and seek to obey. Step out in faith. Have our spirits stirred to be about Your business. And that is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.